And uh, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to pick up at verse 5 where we left off last week. I'll read out loud if you'll follow along silently. The passage reads, Bond servants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling and sincerity of heart as to Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart with good will, doing service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. And you, masters, do the same things to them, giving up threatening, knowing that your own master also is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. And then I want to read, you don't have to turn there, but I'll read. It's out of Exodus 21. It says, if his master has given him a wife and she has borne him sons or daughters, the wife and her children shall be her masters and he shall go out by himself. But if the servant plainly says, I love my master, I love my wife and my children, I will not go free. Then his master shall bring him to the judges. He shall also bring him to the door or to the doorpost and his master shall pierce his ear with an awl and he shall serve him forever. So we'll cover that. That's a passage out of Exodus 21. Let's pray and ask God's blessing on the study of his word. Lord, in this day and age, employee, employers, and especially where for most of us in our lifetime, we've never experienced slavery, but yet as this letter was written in Ephesus, half of Rome was enslaved. And so God Many would think that Christianity is responsible for slavery, but oh, that not be true. The reality is, Lord, that when slavery entered the world, it was long before these words were ever spoken. And when these words were spoken, you came that we might have life and life more abundant. You came to set the captives free. It was through your words that slavery was abolished, especially in the Western world. And so, God, I pray that you would instill and encourage and strengthen us as we would examine a relationship between employee and employer, that these words are as applicable to us as they were back then. The circumstances may have changed, but Lord, the reality remains the same. And so God, would you lead us into all truth? Would you minister to us now, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. With each of uh, these relationships that we've been addressing, we, we, we have to look at Ephesians 5.21, submitting to one another in the fear of God. And the reason why this is the antidote to the poison of destruction in culture and, so, and destruction in society is because we war with one another. And we find out in James that wars come uh, when, when you don't get what you want and then you fight. And we just, we, we just make it on a larger scale between nations, but there's always rulers that are, aren't getting what they want and wars occur. And as we look at, at the history of mankind, the longest running battle in mankind is the war of the sexes. Probably equal um, as far as longevity as, as a war is concerned is between parents and children. In addition, that has spanned all of history would be employee, employer. And, and those, are, those are areas in life where one is to follow, one is to lead, and, and everyone wants to have authority. And when the leader doesn't do what the follower wants or the follower doesn't do what the leader wants, there's war. And then we want to strive for our positions and our rights and, and demand what we, we feel we deserve, and thus war breaks out. But then the Lord brings the remedy, the antidote to the poison of our selfishness. The Lord brings the antidote to the poison of, of our desire for self-fulfillment. And he says self-fulfillment can only be found when you seek 
to, to have someone else achieve it when you seek to assist someone in achieving it in their life. You see, the only way you can find fulfillment is to lose your life in the service of another. God's created us that way. If a man tries to keep his life, he'll lose it. But if a man loses his life, only then and there will he, he gain it. That's why the Bible says that a man will leave his mother and father, be cleaved to his wife, the two shall become one flesh. A brand new creature in Christ as they lay their life down in service of one another. A whole new picture is created, and this is a microcosmic picture of Christ's love for the church. Even in Christendom, the declaration in natural law is that we are to serve one another. And one of the pictures I gave, especially in marriage, as, as we see this battle for the, the, the legitimacy or the legalization of, of gay marriage, is that even in a, in a gay marriage, there's always an attempt uh, for one to be the lead and, and one to be the follower, where you'll have a, a butch and a femme and, and this idea of, of folks trying to maintain those roles, e- even in a same-sex relationship. That's a natural law of man, that there's going to be a leader and there's going to be a follower. And so when the scriptures design that, and then they also depict it for children, you're to obey your parents. And so when we look at the picture of the way God's designed the family and the restoration of a community, this is Paul speaking in Ephesus for a city that was decimated by immorality and the restructuring of the family and, and trying to establish it in a fallen world. And, and he turned Ephesus right side up. I mean, huge revival occurred there and a transformation of, of, of that realm of the world that spread into the Western civilization through Philippi and, and the Western world implementing these truths and watching the gospel uh, promulgated throughout all the known world. And now here we are in the United States of America, one of two nations in the history of the world that, that entered into a covenant with God. In, in our birth certificate, the Declaration of Independence, we declared certain inalienable rights endowed by our Creator, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, realizing that rights don't come from man or from government. They come from God, and we are accountable to God. And in that recognition of our founding fathers, we understood that if these rights are to be preserved, we have to have a right relationship with God. And that's why they said life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. To our founding fathers, pursuit of happiness was you will know the truth, the truth will set you free. Uh, the, the idea is Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and life more abundant. This pursuit of happiness is holiness. This pursuit of happiness is a pursuit of God and to walk in such a way that you would honor God. And blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. The Bible says sin is a reproach to any nation. And, and so with this covenant before the Lord as a nation and we come to honor him, more than 80 cents of every dollar spent in evangelism comes from the United States of America. It's been a beacon and a light for the world. When, when despotism rose in the 40s and late 30s and, and Hitler was invading all of Europe and it was falling like dominoes and Japan was invading all of Asia, it was the United States of America that rose up, raised its fleet from the bottom of the Pacific Ocean in Pearl Harbor, refitted it, took on a two-fronted war, delivered all of those nations and all we asked in return was enough ground to bury our dead and turned it over to all those nations. And the idea that when a nation is in trouble and there's famine in the world, they call on the United States of America for help. We've been a beacon of light in this covenant with God that the Lord would bless us. But here we are in the throes of a, of a struggle, especially in a political season, where there's, there's a challenge of the hearts of men to think that all of our welfare and our hope comes from the state of the government, as opposed to understanding that it's the Lord who gives us our rights. And, and we think that from cradle to grave, the government is supposed to provide for us and to care for us. But the reality is government is only men. 
And you, the only rights you have are given to, to you by those who are in those positions of authority. And so they begin to, to legislate every section of your life. You can't buy a drink in New York City that's more than 12 ounces because you're going to get fat and we don't want you having sugar because you're too stupid to be able to, to, to know what you're supposed to buy for yourself. We begin to remove all of these rights and, and, and all this is legislated and we come to a place where we say, wait a minute, what, what is the answer to all of this? Is it greater government? Thomas Jefferson said that, that, that freedom is having choices. Freedom is having choices. The less choices you have, the less freedom you have. You have $100 in your paycheck, you get it for the week, and, and um, you go into a Walmart, you can buy anything you want up to $100, which is probably the whole store. But there's only two people who can take from your paycheck. There's only two people who can take money from you. One is a robber and the other is a government. Kind of the same. Um, and so as you're walking out to the parking lot, uh, somebody comes and holds a gun up and they take, they take your money from you. Or you're walking out in the parking lot, you have your paycheck, you open it up, you realize the government's already been there. And so if they take 25% of your paycheck, you have 25% less choices, thus you have 25% less freedoms. If they take 50% of your paycheck, you have 50% less choices, 50% less freedom, 75%. And then if you get to 100%, that's called a slave. And a slave it has no rights. They dictate what you're supposed to do, where you're supposed to be, how you're supposed to live, uh, what you're supposed to eat, what you're allowed to own. Does it sound familiar? Where you can receive your health care or not. And now all of a sudden, as, as Benjamin Franklin said, those who would sacrifice freedom for the sake of security deserve neither. And we come to a place where we go, well, it's easy just for the government to take care of it and through fear and intimidation and we see a shooting in Colorado and, and all of a sudden we want the government to step in and remove another right. Well, how far do we go with this to protect ourselves? We surrender our freedoms for the sake of security. We'll have neither. We're just going to be slaves because you can't increase the size of government and still expect people to have the freedom to be able to generate. That's why in California, as the laws have increased and, and, and to be an employer in the state of California is an awful place to be for any of you who are employers, let alone an employee in California, it's awful. And, and we've had more people leave the state of California than came here during the Dust Bowl. We're probably going to lose representation in the House because so many people have exited uh, California. It is not a, a place where business, there's not a place for freedom, and, and it's a litigious state, and we have increased lawsuits, and to be an employer in the state of California is very, very difficult. And to put all that on the line and to employ somebody, and you come to a place where you, you've got unions, not just unions, not private sector unions, you have public sector unions, the SEIU and a number of others. I look at a government union, and some of you are probably going to leave the church after I say this, but a government union, if you think about it, government doesn't produce anything. And so you want to share in the production of a company. Well, remember, government doesn't produce anything. So when you get a greater share of the government as a union worker, what you're getting is a greater portion of our tax dollars. And then you can spend your money to elect representatives that will stand and represent you and your union with the, the government's tax dollars. And so sitting at the bargaining table are the people in a representative form of government that you put into office and they're, so as the people paying your salary, we have no voice at the table any longer. It's removed. Now, let me say this. Our firemen, our teachers, our police, they're all heroes and heroines. We can't pay you enough. But the idea is you enter into service with this idea of a public servant. You're a servant. We can't pay you as, as we would pay heroes and heroines. The job pays what the job pays. 
But when we look in the private sector, our, our, our um, health care benefits are decreasing, our salaries are decreasing, and we look in the public sector, and, and they're increasing, and the benefits are increasing. Uh, a government can't sustain it. That's why we're going to be bankrupt. It comes to a place where people don't want to employ anymore in the state, and they leave. It's the basics of, econo- of economics. And we look at Greece or we look at Europe and, and we come to a place where we feel like we're entitled. We feel like people owe us something. And even in a litigious culture where, you know, you say, well, I'm not a litigious person. Well, stop for a minute. Somebody rear-ends your car. And a little fender bender. But then someone comes up and whispers in your ear, you know, you go and visit the chiropractor for six visits. You can get 15 grand from the insurance company. You go, you know, it really is stiff. Come to think of it. And then you milk it. We had a kid in the church, over in the children's, went up to a door that was supposed to be locked, walked up the door to the attic where we do all the storing, walks over there, steps on the drop ceiling roof and falls through it. Oh, it was awful. I thought, well, we're going to shut the doors. We're going to be sued to the hill. I mean, we are, we're finished. You know what blew me away? The parents of that child said, we want to repair the roof. I went, what? Where did you come from? Can we help with the, you know, because he cut himself? No, no, he shouldn't have been up there in the first place. And we're so sorry that it created a habit. <laughs> Give me a hug. Some people would have watched that and go, gold mine. Gold mine. And you're going to get what you want out of it at the expense of a congregation imploding and shutting the doors. I remember breaking my arm. My dad said, you know, it's my deal. You're my son. How far do we go with it? You have an obligation. You have, and, and I, look, I understand. Some people don't have health care. We want to help. We've done that for a number of folks in, in the fellowship. I get that. But it, there's nothing free in society. If you're receiving something from the government, somebody's paying for you to receive that. It comes... It comes from the government. And so what the Apostle Paul is saying here is he declares in our relationship with work and employment, it's very important. He says bond servants, bond servants. Interesting term. In the Greek, it's called doulos, doulos. It means a slave, uh, whether you're, 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 it, it, you're in subjection or you're, you're subservient to another human being. And, and you're, you're, you're involuntary or voluntarily indentured, or subservient to another human being, whether voluntarily or involuntarily. When I say involuntarily, there's a number of ways you can become a slave in the known world. There over 50% of the known world at the time when the Apostle Paul was writing this was slaves. For those who think that the, the, the free thinkers are the one that abolished slavery, uh, that is a revisionist history and it's a joke. It's not true. Slavery existed long before uh, the Apostle Paul walked the face of the earth. For those of you who think we need to return to Rome and, and Greece and the, 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 the miracle that was the Republic, well, don't forget that half of, of Greece and half of Rome at the time was slaves. And so when the Apostle Paul is writing this, most of the Christians at the time were slaves. There were some uh, masters, as we see in Philemon, but the majority of Christians at the time were slaves. And there was a number of ways you, beco- you could become a slave. You'd become a slave if your nation was captured. If your nation was captured, they, they'd enslave you as the Romans were notorious for doing. You could be sold into slavery, whether you had a debt of some sort. You could be kidnapped and placed into slavery. You could be born into slavery, as we saw in Exodus chapter 21. You could be born into slavery. 
And the conditions of a slave were dependent upon uh, the mercy of the master. The, the idea of having food or clothes or shelter, they, they were to be provided by the master. You had no possessions of your own. You had no freedoms. You had no choices because all of your salary went to the master. You had no rights. You submitted to the will of another. And so Paul's writing to 50% of a community that, that doesn't garner any of their wages. They are working at the bequest of the government to keep the people that they wanted in power in power while these people worked so that these people didn't have to. Does it sound like anything that you're familiar with? More than 50% of Americans are on some sort of subsidy or welfare. And, and so with this picture, Paul's saying, stop for a minute. Stop for a minute. The Bible says if a man doesn't work, he doesn't eat. God's called us to work. We find joy in work. We find joy in labor. Now, in this capacity, Paul knew that he was speaking to slaves. And so he looks at him, he says, bond servants, slaves, doulos, whether voluntarily or involuntarily, listen to me. He says, this is what I want you to do. I want you to set up a union. I want you to pick it. I want you to riot. I want you to do a sit-in. I want you to strike. I didn't say any of that. None of it. In my lifetime, we've witnessed it. I remember in New York City when they, the trash collectors you know, went on strike. I remember Reagan with the air traffic controllers. They went on strike. And the idea is to shut down the community until we get what we want. And I don't care what, what inconvenience it brings. I, I want what I want, and I'm going to get what I want, and I want people to listen to me. And so they, they, they gathered together, and through their, their, their corporate, their, their body, their, uh, their, their gathering of people, they did this. But Paul says, no, that's not what we do as Christians. Bond servants, listen, be obedient to those who are your masters. <laughs> what? What? This is, this, is, this is promoting slavery, Paul. No. Be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling and sincerity of heart, as to Christ, not with eye service, meaning, you know, as, as, as your boss shows up, you don't start pushing the broom going, hey, it's good to see you. The only other time you were napping in the back room, you heard the latch on the door open, you got up and pushed the broom, and you're like, hurry up and leave because my arms are getting tired. I never do this. That's not what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, don't give them eye service. And you know that, too, if you're an employer. You see people like that. They, they, you, you're wondering why nothing gets done, and you come in, and you say, oh, hey, good to see you. Hey, boss, and just working, just pushing it here, getting it done. Hey, hey. And they're not doing anything. That's what Paul's saying. Don't do eye service. He says, and also as men pleasers. And this idea of men pleasers is anthroperikeskos, which means courting or fawning. And I get a kick out of that. You know, you, 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 the people go, you know, I'm pastor, I'm just here to serve. Praise the Lord, brother. I'm just here to serve. I'll clean toilets. I'll do whatever's necessary. And they'll talk and talk and talk. And you put them in and they go, you know, I, I, um, I don't really like doing what I'm doing. And they're always the ones that are hardest to get them to work. And they're the ones that complain the most. And, and the idea of submitting and, and eye service, they're, they're going to find out who's in charge and who's in authority, and they're going to be friends with that person in authority, and they're going to present themselves nicely. But anyone that they have to serve who's in a lower rung, they're going to give them an issue, and they're going to fight them and, and kick at the goads, and, and it's just division and angst and struggle. And, and Paul says we, we, there's, there's no room for eye service or men pleasers. Don't play a game. 
The other idea for, for, for men pleasers is those who kiss up. We've seen it in employment. We see how that works. Paul says you're Christians. You're Christians. And whether you're a slave voluntarily or involuntarily, this is how you do. You, you represent Christ. Well, wait a minute, Pastor Rob. Wait a minute. You're telling me that somebody who was enslaved in the Roman Empire was supposed to do this? as under Yes. Yeah. You know what's amazing? Because this was implemented in Ephesus and took hold in Philippi, it absolutely eradicated slavery in the Western world. It wasn't Christians, uh, according to Sam Harris, who's, who's an atheist, who blames Christianity for slavery. It wasn't, it wasn't Christianity that brought slavery. It was Christianity that delivered us from slavery. You follow Christianity. Uh, slavery predated Christianity by centuries, even a millennia. Predated it. All cultures, all known cultures had slavery. And then all of a sudden, the Apostle Paul comes on the scene and, and atheists, uh, atheists who, again, champion Greece and Rome, uh, don't forget, most of Greece and Rome were slaves. In this revisionist history, Michael Shermer, another atheist that talks about Christians being latecomers to the movement against slavery, Christians stepped on the scene and they abolished slavery. They eradicated it from Western civilization, then called Christendom between the 4th and the 10th century. Some of the things that they did, think about this, William Wilberforce. He was mocked and ridiculed, and the man loved the Lord, and he ended slavery in Great Britain by his endless, tireless efforts. And before he died, slavery was eradicated from the British Empire when people said it would never happen. You you think about slavery ending in the United States. It happened with the abolitionist movement. Who started the abolitionist movement? Congregationalist Christians. They ended slavery. Well, the Southern Christians that that use these verses, yeah, they did, out of context. Just because somebody takes a verse and uses it out of context doesn't mean they represent Christendom. This is not what Paul is depicting nor declaring. Because he goes on to talk to masters as well, and we'll see that momentarily. You know, I I, I think about how Christianity is picked on in this idea from, from history that we're responsible for the Crusades, we're responsible for... The Inquisition were responsible uh, for the Salem witch trials. Oh, I, I, I get so tired of that. That's the only thing you can come up with. And that's brilliant. How many people died in the Salem witch trials? Less than 50. Now, 50 is more than enough, but less than 50. Who ended it? Pastors. Christians ended it. From psychos who started it. How about the Inquisition? Inquisition, less than 100,000 people died. 100,000 too many. Who ended it? Christians? All right. How about atheism? Pol Pot, Mao Zedong, Joseph Stalin, Hitler. How many people have died under the hands of atheists? Billions. Billions. Free thinkers did not abolish slavery. Christians did. Who was on the forefront of the civil rights movement? Christians. The Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. Who's on the forefront of women's rights? Christians. You follow through with this and you see God's hand in every aspect of this. And it begins with, with Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. And now continues on as we look at every relationship in life and the warring that takes place. And Paul says, all right, this is a society that we're dealing with. This is the hand that's been dealt with us. Here's how we remedy it. He says, bond servants, be obedient to those who are your masters. 
according to the flesh, with fear and trembling and sincerity of heart, as to Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. You do it with joy. You're not serving a despotic man. You're serving God. And you do it with goodwill in doing your service as to the Lord, not to men. He says, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is a slave or he's free. You may not get your reward on this earth, but you'll get it in heaven. And some of you go, well, you know what? I'm tired of being a worker. I want to be a leader. Well, that's an issue you have with God because you don't like the station in life he's given you. And in this realm, as, as we have more freedoms, we have the ability to rise and experience all kinds of changes. But the Apostle Paul says in verse 9, and you masters, you masters. And when he's speaking to him, he says, listen to me, masters. And the word for master is kurios, which means supreme in authority. He's the controller. He's the Lord. He's the master. And he says, he says listen, you masters do the same things to them. Give up threatening. And the word threatening is this idea of menacing them and, 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 and just attacking them. And, and ruling by an iron fist. You want to get fired? There's a bunch of people waiting in line for your job. I got news for you. All the years I've served the Lord, he's never told me he's going to fire me. He's never browbeat me. He's never tried to intimidate me. He's a wonderful employer. He's a wonderful master. He's loving. He's kind. He's patient. He always has wonderful things to say to my heart. Most employers who manage that way manage because they're afraid, they're weak. But I will say this, when it says be obedient to bondservants, the word obedient is the same word that was used when it says children obey your parents. We have to learn how to obey rules and authority. We have to see that life is organized that way. And everybody has somebody else that they report to. That's how it works. But in a selfish world, we don't want anyone telling us what we're supposed to do. But even Christ was under subjection. He was under the headship of the Father. And man is subject and under the headship of Christ. And and the woman is under headship to the man. And children are under headship to the parents. And the employee is under headship of the employer. And some people go, well, that's just not right. It's not fair. You know, if, if masters would do the same things to us, maybe I'd do the same thing to them. He says, give up threatening, knowing that your master also is in heaven and there's no partiality with him. No partiality with the Lord. I, I shared you the story about Emily and Micah and the trip that we gave them uh, to, to go to Alaska. And one of the elders in the church, it, you know, just financially wise and, and, and very thoughtful and challenging to ask me to consider these things. And their statement was basically, you know, this is a lot to give to a part-time employee as a gift. Are you going to do that for every married couple in the church? Are you going to do that for every person in the church that works in the church? Are you going to give them a, trip, a honeymoon trip to Alaska? I go, no. Well, then, and then that's not equitable. I go, oh, time out. The person just happened to make more money than I did. Better off than I am. I asked them a question. I said, everything you have, is that yours or God's? Oh, that's God's. And I knew they'd say that because they, they, they love the Lord. They recognize that. I said, then let me ask you a question. Am I supposed to be embittered to God because he's given me less than he's given you? God's not a socialist. I don't know what I'd do if I had that person's money. I would squander it, certainly. I don't know how to manage it. I'm thankful he's given me what I have. 
Why are we discontented in where God's given us? The Bible says godliness with contentment is great gain. Step into that realm and say, thank you, Lord. Don't be embittered to the position you've been given. Do it with joy before the Lord. I'm I'm struggling with time because I really want you to hear both testimonies uh, that I have for you here. I I have two men that are going to speak, and we've got 11 minutes. I think I can get them both in. Um, Last service, I I had Kevin Cunningham share. I'm going to lead off with Pastor Mark Schwartz, and and I, I want you to see this idea of how when God comes in and takes authority in a man's life, how he transforms him to understand that his employment is of the Lord. Folks, we, we would absolutely eradicate um, all, all labor disputes if we just applied this principle. I got to tell you, I am so sick and tired of, of you know, uh, Romney Hood and Obama Loney. <laughs> this is the most ridiculous presidential election ever. I'm sick of it. Let's deal with some substance here. And, and, and the idea of, of race wars and, and socioeconomic wars and pitting the rich against the poor, contentment, godliness with contentment is great gain. We serve one another, whether we're the employee or the employer. And we do what we do as unto the Lord. And when we start understanding that, we're going to enjoy our work and we're not going to be embittered. We get embittered when we don't do things in accordance along the lines of what the Lord wants. I'll save this last portion for the end. I want to welcome Pastor Mark to come on up and share. You got to walk faster, bro. That, that, that just took a minute right there. Yes, sir. <laughs> well, um, I don't want to try to give you my whole testimony, uh, just because we really don't have too much time. But suffice it to say, you know, as I grew up, I grew up in a very dysfunctional house. There was a lot of alcohol. There was infidelity. There was a lot of thievery. And it was just a bad childhood as we grew up. And, of course, I walked away from any godliness that I had as a child as we would go to church when we were young. And um, I got into drinking, I got into drugs, I got into all the wrong things. And actually, I thought things were going really good for me because I was doing all the things I wanted to do. I was making more money than my friends. I had a beautiful girlfriend. Everything was great. But when I got into the Word of God, I opened up the Bible. I saw my life in the light of God's Word. And I realized that I was poor, miserable, blind, and naked. And I needed Him. And so I surrendered my life to Jesus Christ about 32 years ago, and I've been walking with him ever since. As far as my relation in work goes, um, you know, I've been really blessed in this uh, study through Ephesians. All the studies that Pastor Rob has been taking us through have been just such a blessing, just been digging it. I love what God is doing in and through him and in this fellowship. It's just awesome. And in these uh, challenges that God is giving us, to serve one another, uh, uh, husbands, or to love their wives like Christ loved the church. That's a tough thing to do, right? Wives are to submit to their husbands. How hard is that? You know, children, obey your parents. Doesn't get any tougher than that. And now we're supposed to serve our employers as though they were God. I'm just like, dude, this is pretty tough. And God is asking us to do some really tough stuff. 
I've been at work and I've had my office call me and say, Mark, we're going to move you off of a job and we're going to put you on another job because we need you there and I need you to tell your customer, our customer, that you're trained or certified for this special job. Just like I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to lie for you. Well, you need to tell them. That's what we're going to tell them. So I'd go to the customer and I'd say, you know what? They're moving me off your job. They're going to tell you that I'm certified for another job, but they're lying to you. And if you'd like to talk to my office, I'll dial the number right now and you can call and talk to them. And, I, and that's honest to God truth because I know that I'm serving God and I'm going to stand before him one day. I'm going to honor his word. And, you know, as we've been going through these studies and these things that God is asking us to do, there's a really, really important principle, a couple of them really, but I'll try to make it really, really short. You know, God's asking us to do things that would seem impossible. It reminded me of Jesus when he spoke to the man with the withered hand. He said, stretch forth your hand. He didn't ask him to. He told him, stretch forth your hand. And that guy came to a crossroad in his life at that moment. Either he could begin to make excuses to God for all the reasons that he couldn't do what God was asking him to do, or he could just say, you know, God's asking me to do something that I can't do, but I believe he will give me the ability to do it if I just will to obey. And that's what he did. Of course, we know the story. He stretched forth his hand. He was made whole. He believed that God would give him the power to do that which he could not do. And we can look at these things that God is telling us to do and go, God, if I, if I break something at work and I don't lie about it, I'm going to lose my job. So what? God's got a better job for you. He will, he will bless you. Pastor Chuck used to say, and I'll, I'll finish with this. He used to say that where God's word is honored, God honors his word. This is one of the most profound and simple thoughts that I've ever heard. So profound and yet so simple. You know, back in the time of the judges, Samuel was the last judge. When he came on the scene and he came to the temple to live there as a little boy, Eli was the high priest, Hophni, Phinehas were the sons of Eli, and they were corrupt. They were doing things that were terrible. They were sleeping with the women. They were stealing from the people. They did not know the Lord. It tells us in 1 Samuel chapter 3. And God sends a prophet to Eli to speak to him the judgment that's going to come to his house. And when he, sa- when he sends the prophet to him, he tells him, where, where those honor me, I will honor them. But those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. This is the idea. Where my word is honored, I will honor my word. If we, lightly, if we despise God, we will be lightly esteemed. And so really, to me, this is the whole principle of what is, uh, God is asking us to do when he asks us to do things that seem impossible. We see it in his word. This is how he wants us to live, and we live that way. And so by God's grace, I have come to faith in Jesus Christ through his word. I take it very literal. God tells me to look at my employer as, a, as him, and I serve him, and I, I rest in that. And in uh, Ephesians 6, 8, something that Pastor Rob already read, it says, what it, uh, whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord. It's just another way of saying where God's word is honored, he will honor his word. Amen? Thanks, buddy. We're, uh, we're limited on time, so next week I'm going to have uh, Kevin share with you 
and Mark will do first service, Kevin will do second service, but I, I close in these last three minutes. I read out of Exodus 21. And Exodus 21 is um, uh, God's commandment to masters and servants. He says, now these are the judgments which you shall set before them. If you buy a Hebrew servant, he shall serve six years, and in the seventh he shall go out free and pay nothing. If he comes in by himself, he shall go out by himself. If he comes in married, then, uh, then his wife shall go out with him. If his master has given him a wife and she has borne him sons or daughters, the wife and her children shall be her masters, meaning that they would have to still work. He could still be with them, but they'd have to work. He can go out on his own and do his own employment, but they still uh, have a, uh, a debt to pay. But if a servant plainly says, I love my master, my wife, my children, I will not go out free. Then his master shall bring him to the judges, and he shall also bring him to the door or to the doorpost, and his master shall pierce his ear with an awl, kind of like what you do at the mall, but this is with an awl, <laughs> and he shall serve him forever. And the point that I close with this morning is this. Everybody in the room is a slave. You're either a slave to sin or a slave to righteousness. You're either a slave to God or you're a slave to Satan. So you go, no, I'm my own man. No, you aren't. No, you aren't. There are some things that you wish you couldn't do anymore and you still do them. You know it. There are things that you say, I swear to God, I'll never do it again. You've done it again. There are things about your life that you don't want anyone to know. You're terrified. How does one become a slave? They're captured. They're enslaved. They're kidnapped. Some are born into it. We were born into slavery. We were born into sin. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But when we look at this, we think our will is submitted to another. We can either submit our will to Satan or submit our will to God. And a slave state is related to his master. So, some of you are slaves to sin, slaves to Satan. I have to tell you, you're under some intolerable circumstances. And you put up with an awful lot. Just like Pastor Mark said, I thought my life was really good. You're eating Alpo. You, you think it's fun waking up with a headache. You think it's fun that your family is, is destroyed and you're, you're living with your girlfriend. And your kids are being raised by another man. That's not fun. You think you're going to party in hell with your friends? No, you aren't. Hell's awful. It's not a joke. Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He is a despotic master. He's evil. He's awful. Others of us are slaves to the Lord. We're under very good circumstances. And I, I think, you know, as, as we see in Exodus 21, uh, all men are slaves. Some are sold into sin. You're born into sin by birth. And, and that's the terms of Satan's lordship over you. He wants absolute control. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He's a roaring lion roaming about seeking may devour. He's the author of lies. He, he causes you to walk according to the course of this world. And, and by nature, you're children of wrath. You're in trouble. He has deceptive control over you. He's got you so wired that you think that, 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 that achievement and fulfillment is just around the corner. And then you get to that promotion or you, you get that new girlfriend or you, the, 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 the new, you know, edition of Penthouse shows up. It does, and then you think, uh, well, five minutes at work now, no. And you're empty. There's no fulfillment. Every next thing, it lasts for a little bit. And the Bible says sin is pleasurable for a season. And then you have that emptiness again. There's not enough drugs. There's not enough. And you're, you're, you're in trouble. And the God of this world has blinded you. 
And, and the Lord created a subject of vanity. As Solomon said, vanity, vanity, it's all vanity, it's emptiness. How empty are your accomplishments in life? I think about, I think about Michael Phelps. I mean, he gets eight gold medals, breaks the most awarded you know, Olympian in all, the history of the Olympics, and, and you find him at a party taking bong hits. I remember one time helping my friend clear out his father's house after his dad had passed away, and we came across his diploma from Harvard, magna cum laude, law degree, didn't even know it, threw it out. It's just paper. He's gone. The paper amounted to nothing. He was an awful father. He didn't even want anything to do with his dad. So what about your achievements? Who cares? It, all the, the wealth that you accumulate and all your weight, just given in, in, to the next generation, discarded. They're waiting for you to die so they can spend your money. That's how Satan works. And his wages as a master, he's awful. His wages is death. Wages of sin is death. He comes to destroy you and every essence of goodness in you. And this is the final thing. This is a hope for all of you who are in slavery to Satan. Here's the hope. You're on the auction block today. And there's a new master who wants you. And to purchase you out of slavery... The price is blood. And so he bled on that cross to pay the penalty, the price for your sin, to redeem you. And the way that you become a slave to this master is by choice. You say, God, you'd love me enough to pay the price of your holy blood for the remission of my sins. I receive you by choice. And the terms of slavery with this new master, the terms are love. Love. I've come that you might have life and life more abundant. His desire is to remain in you. And the idea is it's a willing submission based on love. And the results of this type of slavery, when you enter into submission to this new master, it's fulfilling service. Everything counts for eternity. And the next generation is not going to squander it. Your labor for the Lord is not in vain. The other joy of being in, in, in the slavery of this master is it's a pleasant service. It's a joyful service. It's not easy, but it's always joyful. It's a rewarding service. And so the question that I close with this morning is, you're a slave, but who do you want to have as your master? Who is your master? Who do you bow your knee to? You know, the master who's here while you're on the slave block today, he was pierced on that cross so that he could pay the penalty for your sin. And just like the slave who loves his master in Exodus 21, are you willing to be pierced for him and to say, I want to serve you forever? I love being in your house. He was willing to be pierced for you. Would you allow your conscience to be pierced for him? Would you respond to the Lord? The Bible says, if you believe in your heart and confess with your tongue, Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. God brought you here today to deliver you out of the house of Satan that you would be a master of, or you'd be a slave of righteousness in the master's house who is a good and wonderful God. He says, come to me, all you are burdened and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Are you tired of eating Alpo? You tired of the, the, the lousy wages? Then today is a day of salvation. In a moment, I'm gonna pray and I'm gonna give you an opportunity to receive Christ. I'll, I'll tell you how it's gonna happen. I really want you to consider this. Today, we're going to do a transaction. You're going to be delivered from the slave block. You're going home with a new master. And here's how it works. When our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed in a moment, I'm going to say, is there anyone in this room who wants to receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior? 
that you'd be forgiven of your sins, past, present, and future, and that his blood will pay the penalty and redeem you. And if that's you, you're going to raise your hand. The reason why I need you to raise your hand, the Bible says, if you profess me before man, I'll profess you before my Father in heaven. I'll be the witness of it this morning. Everyone's eyes are going to be closed, their heads are going to be bowed. You just raise your hand and look at me when I give you that option to receive the Lord. For those of you who have already received the Lord, be praying for those folks. They're on the auction block right now. And we're going to rejoice as the angels in heaven will when they get a new master. Ready? Let's close our eyes, bow our heads. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for Pastor Mark's testimony. Thank you for the clear depiction of how you want to operate in our life. Lord, we're all slaves to someone. We've all been slaves to sin. We've all been slaves to Satan. But God, you've come that we might be set free, that we'd know the truth and the truth would set us free, that we'd be in a love relationship with the God of the universe who left heaven to be pierced on a cross so that we could live in his house forever. What a wonderful father you are. What a wonderful master. Lord, we long to be slaves of righteousness, that our lives would be lived for your glory. As our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Today's a day of salvation. If you want to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I'm going to ask that right now, you raise your hand. Amen. God bless you. 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 Anyone else right now? God bless you back there. Amen. Back here. God bless you guys. Anyone else? Praise the Lord. Father, thank you for those who have said, I want to be set free. They have a new master, the God of heaven. What a loving father you are. You say you no longer call us servants. You call us friends. What an amazing God you are. Lord, you began this good work in their life. You're faithful to complete it. We pray that you give these folks who have received you this day the absolute knowledge and understanding that they've been forgiven of their sins and they have been purchased with the blood of God. All their sins have been forgiven. They're now in the kingdom of God. Their name is written in the Lamb's book of life. And so, Lord, we rejoice this day with the angels and we thank you for those who've given their heart to you. In Jesus' name. Amen. And the angels in heaven rejoice. Let's pray for you guys. Let's stand up, if you would. God bless you guys. I'm so blessed. If you gave your heart to the Lord, you want to talk to me, I'm here. I want to encourage you. I want to give you a Bible. I want to just bless you in your walk with the Lord. It's the greatest thing you've ever done. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful week in the Lord.